This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, fight fans, what the hell went on at Fight Camp's finale? Dillian White brutally knocked out by Alexander Povetkin. Pretty much a shock upset, I think some people would like to say. But then, I don't think it was a, a shocker. I just think it was the way it ended, which was very shocking. It's another episode. It's our big fight review of Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin. And of course, the finale to Matchroom Fight Camp, Johnston. You're on the line, as always, to discuss what went down on Saturday night on Skybox Office. And first and foremost, that is the only place we're going to be able to start on this episode. Some people seen it coming. We thought White might take him the later rounds and, and go on to stop him, which actually looked like it was going to be earlier than what we predicted, first of all, when he knocked him down twice in the fourth. But then for him to get caught cold the way he did, against Povetkin, who was like a wounded animal in that fifth round. My word, that sent shockwaves to a lot of people in boxing. It certainly did, mate. I thought it was good one-way traffic at one point. I thought, I thought as, as you rightly mentioned, Dillian White seemed to be pretty much in control. I liked the first three rounds, the fact that he was working the body a lot more. He, he didn't... He looked pretty comfortable, let's be honest. And then, obviously, the two knockdowns in the fourth. I, I was impressed with the fact that when he put him down for the first time, I I was sort of worried that he was going to try and jump on him, and he didn't. He was patient, and then he landed again. That that left on the chin that, that sort of put Povetkin down again, and you're sort of thinking, well, fifth round now. Um, it, it should pretty much be, as I say, one-way traffic, and White will either get rid of him in the next round or maybe in a couple of rounds after. But, you know, the one thing about Alexander Povetkin, he is like a, when he's like a wounded animal, he's a dangerous character. I mean, we see it with David Price, and he has that ability when he is hurt, he will go for broke, and that's exactly what he did. And and what what can we say about that finish? I mean, 
For me, Dillian allowed him to come a little bit too close. He's got them long levers. I think Dillian White needs to be able to use them better than he had. He did in that fight, especially on that that knock, the actual knockdown where he sort of allowed his feet to get a little bit square. He was against the ropes, and then obviously it come out of nowhere. He pulled it out of his ass, as they say, and he <laughs> landed an absolute belter and <laughs> flattened Dillian White. Um, there was no doubt after about thirty. For literally less than a second, it was pretty obvious they weren't going to get up from it. And well done, Povetkin. Well, the way he finished the fight, it was uh, it was quite sublime, really. The, it was a basic move. He feinted the jab and then come in with the uppercut instead. So he sort of drew the lead from Dillian White. Dillian White was expecting the jab, so instead he slipped and then threw the uppercut in. Now, that is a brilliant shot. That shot is actually, funnily enough, one of the same shots Anthony Joshua caught Dillian White with in their fight for the British title in 2015. A very, very similar shot, and it just goes to show he's quite susceptible to it, Dillian White, when he's in that position. Now, fair play to Alexander Povetkin for doing what he's done. Ultimately... They're saying there's a rematch. It was a clause in the contract before the fight happened. And Eddie Hearn's saying in the post-fight interview that's going to happen at the back end of the year. I'm going to be interested to see how the politics of this all play out, whether or not Povetkin will have to take that rematch, whether there'll be some way of something that goes down between the, the organisations where Povetkin does end up technically fighting Tyson Fury because that's what he's put himself in a position to do now. Um, it's it's crazy how like one punch can change the the face of a landscape and this is essentially what it's done and you got a feel for Dillian White because he's took risk after risk after risk after risk and there was always going to be that potential banana skin as, as you say but you didn't expect it to happen, let's be honest. None of us really expected that banana skin to ever come. We just thought he'd get through these fights. You know, we, we continue to moan about the fact he's not had his shot yet. But now to be talking about it in a, in a sense that what, has, what he's got to do now is he's got to come back. If, he can, if that rematch is happening, he's got to come back. He's got to win it emphatically. And then he's got to be able to push himself forward for that eventual fight with Tyson Fury. I just hope that he's able to do that. I genuinely hope he is able to do that. People were slating Dillian White on social media. They were laughing at the fact he got knocked out because he's got this Marmite character at times. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Some people were alluding to the fact that he's shown disrespect to Alexander Povetkin at the weigh-in by not shaking his hand. That's just all part of the bravado and the machismoism of, of, of them actually going to war. That That's just Dillian White saying, I'm at war now. I've gone into that zone. I don't think he was being disrespectful. People say he was, but I don't think he is because you don't always see fighters shaking hands before a fight. Once they get into that zone, who knows what happens. I mean, we've seen some of the craziest weighing brawls and press conference brawls ever when two guys get together. It's just all ego. But for Dillian White, now he's got he's to bounce back and he's got to win this. And he was winning the fight comfortably. Two knockdowns in the fourth round, just switched off for a moment. Just switched off for that one moment. And that's all it took for him to get knocked flat on his back. And the landscape of, of the WBC title challenge for Dillian White being essentially over. But really, it's not because he's got a rematch clause. So if he can go out there and beat Povetkin, then, then he goes and gets that shot. But... This is certainly one of the biggest bumps in the road that you that you've got to face now. It really is, and and I mean the fact you mentioned the handshaking, as you said, when it comes to fight camp week, you know you, you've got to try and some fighters try to channel that aggression by you know you're not going to be pally pally with your opponent. You want to try and find something to 
to get you going. Uh, you need to be in the right frame of mind. Some 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 fighters throughout history have, have been that way, and you know, we look no further than Mike Tyson. He'd always try and find a way of hating someone and getting himself aggressive and in that in that sort of frame of mind. And that's basically what Dillian White was doing. And the one thing I did notice, though, in the fight was the amount of times Povetkin, literally before every round and after every round, he was touching gloves with Dillian, wasn't he? It was, it was, it was really strange to see the amount of times he wanted to touch gloves with him. You don't tend to see that in a fight until right up to the last round. So it almost, I think Povetkin knew that he was probably, he was being outboxed. And, and I think in the back of his mind, he thought one shot could do it. And, and maybe was it was the way you described the way he did finish it. He fainted that jab and, and launched that. He was looking for it. I did see him look for it a couple of times and sort of when I had a vague look back at the fight, I was more interested in the actual final knockout, which was just a stunning finish. Good, definitely one of the knockouts of the year I've seen. And, and that's what the heavyweight game's about. That's what makes it so intriguing. Is one punch can end the fight and, and that's what's happened. And, and it's, it's one thing I will say as well, it's crazy for Dylan how hard he's worked to get the position he's in. And be so close, and yet one punch, and all of a sudden he seems so far away. It is. It just shows you for for the contenders that are sort of hovering all it's sort of behind the lights of Fury, Joshua, and and Wilder because Wilder is getting another shot by the looks of things. You know, they it is they they literally are holding it amongst themselves. Then three at the moment, it doesn't seem like anyone's really going to get a chance until they all fight each other. So it's it's going to be interesting because if if Joshua Fury fight, you know what. Even if he does get past Povetkin, he could be looking at another 12 months. I know, that's the crazy thing, isn't it? When you think about like what this has potentially caused for him now, this slip-up, this, this loss could potentially be the end of, of what he's worked so hard for, which would be disappointing, of course. But at the end of the day, he's a fighter. He took the risk. He knew the risk he was taking. He got caught. And, and then now, hopefully, he'll get that rematch. He will go, go on to win. And, you know, we will get to see how the landscape changes. But... Then again, some part of me kind of feels a little bit like maybe Povetkin should get a shot. You know, you look at the fights yeah. he's been involved in. Look at what he's been involved in over the past couple of years. Obviously, the David Price fight. He fought Huey Fury. You know, the drawing Michael Hunter where people felt, you know, he, he kind of lost that fight. He's obviously got beat to Joshua. He's been involved in some pretty good fights, really, for a guy who's, what, 40, going on 41 years old. Could he get a world title shot? Does he deserve it? Part of me feels... Like he does, but I suppose the other side of me says Dillian White deserved it more because I think he came through some some great fights and and, and deserved his opportunity at a world title. It was just a shame that he's had to now lose to to, to to fight his way back to get this this shot that he that he so desperately worked so hard for. So yeah, it was it was an intriguing fight. It wasn't any. I don't think it was exciting. You know, it was very very much like a chess match with Dillian White using the jab to control the fight for for the most part before the knockdowns came in the fourth, and then obviously the the stunning upset knockout came in in the fifth round. So. It wasn't the, an exciting fight. It was just intriguing more than anything. But the one fight which was exciting was Katie Taylor and Delphine Pursuit too. I've got to say, first and foremost about that fight, Delphine Pursuit is someone I wouldn't like to meet in a dark alley. With that engine that she has, the way she never stopped coming, she was like a Terminator. She never stopped coming at Katie Taylor all night that night. It was a brilliant fight. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And we'll go on to our overall thoughts on the fight camp weeks. But I just wanted to make one point at this moment in time is that I think it's been the the female fights that have kind of come out of this 
with more plaudits than than the than the men's fights because we've seen some brilliant fights, three brilliant fights over the course of fight camp, headlined with this particular fight. Did you think that the decision was the right decision? Because some people felt again, Pursuit won that fight. This time, I think I think Katie done enough. I, I think for me, where we're Pursuit she she has got this unreal engine. She really has. I just think sometimes she got a little bit too close, and she she almost. Uh, I don't know, if she'd have just stepped back and just give herself a little bit more space, then she might have actually had a bit more success when she was throwing her punches. I just feel that she almost, she just got too close and she she swallowed, she, she swamped her work, if you know what I mean. She, she yeah. wasn't able to, yeah, she, that, that was that was the problem for me. I think that was that was where someone in her corner just needed to have a little word. In her ear. I mean, she's, she's had 40-odd fights. She's, she's definitely more than enough ring savvy, than you know, than Katie really, but for me, Katie just looked to be the better fighter. Like the way she fought, sort of, she did what we expected her to do. You know, she was good. She was going to engage at times. That's inevitable. That's what she does. She does it because it's something with inside of her. But when she does box well, when she can throw a nice combination and come out of trouble, she was doing that very well. She was using her feet well. Yeah, and just pursuing just needed a bit more space. I think for me, although she kept chasing her around the ring, it just depends what you like. I could see why. People would say that Pursuit probably may have deserved it, sort of, um, in terms of the fact that she did continually be the aggressive fighter. But she just didn't. She, she, it's just the punches didn't connect enough for me. That was my opinion, and I and I felt that she she got better as the fight wore on, and and that was when Katie, whether she got tired or she just wanted to engage a bit more, maybe she got a little bit more comfortable, and and she allowed Pursuit to to come on her. But I thought Katie, all in all, I thought she fought really well. I was impressed with her performance and it went pretty much how I'd expected it to. But you're absolutely right. What another great fight for the female boxers and, and what a fantastic camp it's been for female boxing. All three fights, absolutely first class. Just giving my thoughts quickly on the Katie Taylor, Delphi and Pursuit fight. I think we both said and both agreed that she would learn from the first fight and she'd be coming better the second fight. And I think for, for, for a lot of the fight she did exactly what we expected her to do which was to box really well and get in and get out land the punches land the eye-catching combinations whereas Pursuit was just non-stop action and what you said there Johnson was that she smothered a lot of her work and that is exactly what I felt like she did (laughs) I felt like she just did too much of it I felt like although it was pressure 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 it wasn't as we say educated pressure she wasn't picking her times when to pressurise it was just I'm going to overrun you I'm going to try and maul you and it looked very scrappy very scruffy at times and yes she did get Katie Taylor on multiple occasions in the fight and she did land and it looked like she hurt her on a couple of occasions however Katie Taylor had racked up enough rounds for me to win that fight by the 96-94 decision I felt like she did win it I felt it was very close I felt if they would have scored that one a draw I probably wouldn't have too much of an argument over that decision, but I do think overall Katie Taylor won the fight. I, I was happy that she won the fight, and people are, are quick to give her stick after the fight by again saying she she didn't win it and she's she's sliding, she's on the decline, and and whatever other spiel that people want to put there on social media. I think she's at the peak of her powers now. I think she's at the peak of her powers. This is Katie Taylor's prime. Now, what is she, 33 years old now? How long has she got left in the game? Maybe a year, maybe two at best. What's next for her to do? Well, for me, 
the fight with Jessica McCaskill would be the obvious one. Katie Taylor to jump up two weights to the welterweight division to fight Jessica McCaskill in a rematch for all, all the belts. That would be history making. That would literally define Katie Taylor's legacy, put her in the Hall of Fame and have her classed as a legendary fighter all in that one particular fight. And she could retire after that fight. If she went on and beat Jessica McCaskill, won all the welterweight titles and retired, I'd say she'd had a Hall of Fame worthy career. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is a, that would be a magnificent achievement for her. And, I, and you're right. It is definitely something I'm sure she, she's going to be looking at. It, it makes sense for her. And I'd, I'd you know, for people to say she's on the side, I, I don't, I don't think so. I thought, I thought she boxed really well, and I think with with Delphine, I mean, she said she was even going to drop down, didn't she, to, to super featherweight? I believe. I think that's what she she wanted to do after the fight. She, um, she was pursuing actually after the fight. Just going back to her, she, you could actually sense. I mean, you you know, in the ring when you're fighting. I mean, we we all have our opinions when we're watching fights, but I think when a fighter knows that they've lost a the fight, you know, she was she was very she was polite about her opinion on how the fight went and, and I think she, she decided she knew herself that she lost the fight and she lost it to a better fighter and she admitted that and that's what you got to give her and I think from that if you if you weren't 100% sure how the fight should have gone I think sometimes the reaction of the fighter tells you all and I think that was pretty clear so for me I think Kate I, I just don't I, I don't see really how anyone could have got it any other way I, I can see it but I, for me personally no um, going back to Katie I think she, that would be a, I mean McCaskill what, what a great fight I mean if that's something she can do, I mean, as you say, two years left, possibly maybe a year um, at the height of her powers. I think in a year she will start to decline. So I think she, if she wants that fight, she's going to need to get in now. And she's got the ability to do it, 100%. So, I mean, what a magnificent achievement. It would be fantastic for her to do it. I hope she does. And, and I would love to see it. So it would, we'll just have to see. Uh, there's not, the thing is with women's boxing is there isn't that depth, is there? So jumping up a couple of weights sounds a lot. And it would be a lot. It would be a great achievement, as I keep saying. But, the, you know, the pool's, it's not as deep. And, and if it was men's boxing, it'd be slightly different because of the amount of fighters that are out there. So I think this get the, the, the biggest fights you can possibly get in female boxing, let's make them happen. Absolutely. So let's move on to another decision that occurred on the card in the opening fight of week four of Fight Camp, which was Jack Cullen and Zach Chelly. They just scored a draw. Surprisingly scored a draw. Now... Jack Cullen is a fighter we've enjoyed watching. He's a fighter I've enjoyed watching. I've watched him on the small hall circuit for about three years now. And I've watched him get to the point that he's at now on the big shows like this. And to see him move up to the super middleweight division to fight Zach Chelly, I felt was probably going to be a step too far for him. And it felt like a step too far for him on the night. I mean, Matthew Macklin on commentary was saying, oh, well, he's got he needs to have to fill out into the division. No, he's, he's he's just not big enough for me. He's just not big enough for, for a super middleweight. I think his frame is, is right for middleweight. He could probably even boil down to super welterweight, to be honest with you. I, I don't think he's right for the super middleweight division. And Zach Jelly looked really good in his performance. And he looked really accurate, pinpoint accuracy in his shots. Looked like he was landing the more hurtful blows in the fight. Uh, whereas Jack Cullen was was struggling at times to get off what he needed to to, to get Chelly with and hurt him, and when the draw was scored and announced, I was I was quite disbelieved to be honest with you. I honestly genuinely felt like Zach Chelly had won that fight, and he would have won it on all three cards because who in the right mind really would have scored that a draw? Because that was not a draw. That was for me was a quite wide points decision to Zach Chelly and. 
I'm talking about Jack Cullen, who's, who's from the Northwest. He's from my neck of the woods. And I'm not biased towards fighters from my neck of the woods. As far as I'm concerned, he didn't win that fight. He didn't deserve the draw. Yeah, he fought well at times, but he wasn't good enough on the night. And Zach Chelly should have won it. And I feel like he's been robbed of that decision, to be honest with you. And it's just, again, even with no audience being there and the judges having that entire focus on this fight, they still managed to get it wrong. I know, it's a strange one, because uh, I think think Mark Lyson, did he have it 97-93, didn't he, to yeah. Zach? Uh, yeah. I think that probably was, uh, um, yeah, that, that was that was to Zach, and I think that that was probably more of the correct scorecard. I mean, the fact that two judges, I mean, Ian John, Ian John Lewis doesn't make me laugh, because he is, he's a good he is a good referee. He has his weird, I don't know, I don't, I don't think he's the best of judges, to be honest with you. He's not, he has, he has moments of madness, and I think yeah. the 95-95 are, I don't agree with. Um, I mean, Victor Lachlan, he had it 96-95 to Jack. Bit confused with that. The fact that you've got three judges and three respected judges, yet two of them have, have produced cards that a lot of us are sort of scratching our heads with. I, I'm confused. I mean, where were they? I'm, so when you watch the fight, I mean, they're sitting around the ring. They're not all sitting together. So they've all they've all got slightly different views. Obviously, Mark Lyson had the view that we had because um, the 97-93 <laughs> is probably about right. Yep. 96, 94, maybe. But the other two, I just, I don't quite get it. I would, I would love to, then there needs to be something where, if a, if a judge has got the bollocks to do it, I mean, at the end of the day, they get hired, they get paid to, to make a decision when they're, when they're judging fights. But if, if one of them have got a bit of a bizarre card, they don't have to necessarily come out themselves and say something, even if they speak to somebody, a representative of, and then they can talk to, talk to the the broadcaster and just say, look, this is why I gave them that score Like yeah. in in a couple of fights later. Just to explain it, just so we understand it, because I don't understand it myself. Again, I mean, we, we keep always mentioning the judges. We, we did feel that maybe without the crowd that that maybe judging would be a little bit better. Obviously, clearly not, because, yeah, I, I don't get it. I really don't. There's not really much we can really say other than the fact that Zach basically should have won the fight. It's clear as day, really. I think he I think he even knew it and, and us watching at home did. And so did anyone else that sort of hit social media after that fight. So it's disappointing for Zach. Uh, Jack's got away with one. So uh, yeah, I, I really can't put my finger on it. I really can't because maybe after maybe we have to watch the fight again. If we watch the fight again and try and get in Ian John Lewis's mind frame, uh, maybe we might be able to figure it out. But to be quite honest with you, that was never no, no, it wasn't a draw, I'm sorry, but I might not be a British Boxing Border Control official, I might not be a judge, I might not even be a referee, but I watched that fight, and I studied that fight, and I didn't listen to the commentary, because, again, as I said a couple of weeks ago, the commentary's been pretty piss poor throughout the whole of fight camp, so I decided to turn it down and just watch it. And I, I enjoyed watching it that way because I felt like I was more conscientious of what was going on in the fight rather than being distracted by some of the, the, the cheap anecdotes that they come from Adam Smith or Matthew Macklin or the cheap cliche sayings. And, and, and then you get tempted to kind of stray away from the fight a little bit more when, when you do that. So I enjoyed watching the fight the way it was and I felt Zach won and I felt Jack got away with one and that, that's that's how I felt. It went down on the night. Now, there's, there's two other fights we've got to discuss briefly before we move on. Uh, Luther Clay, Chris Congo. That was that was a really good fight. That was probably my second favourite fight of the night behind Taylor and Pursoon. Uh, it was an all-action, very skillful 
fight between two guys who were just putting everything on the line. Really good fight in the welterweight division. Luther Clay is someone who I have interviewed before. He's been on our Ones to Watch podcast about 12 to 16 months ago before he got his WBO global welterweight title. And it was good to see him moving forward in his career. And then he got this fight with Congo and Congo just looked so much bigger than him. So, so much bigger than him. And the way Clay was able to get on the inside and causing problems throughout the fight was really great to see. But ultimately, I did feel that Congo was going to walk away the victor. In fact, again, I did predict it on on my uh, prediction league that I'm part of the Round for Pound by British Boxing Blog. Again, I predicted Congo would win that fight and he would go on to, to stop Luther Clay. And that's exactly what he did. I think the size advantage, the skill between the two, uh, it, it was one of the best fights of the night. I really thoroughly enjoyed that fight. And it was good to see them both getting the opportunity on that stage. For Chris Congo, it was the biggest opportunity he's had. And he came up and he looked really good. And he's a great addition now to the welterweight division on a stage that hosts some really great domestic fighters in this country. Absolutely. And, and Chris Congo is a guy that I've seen since since pretty much when he debuted in 2018. Um, basically because he's, you know, he's, he's a Bermondsey boy, which is not, not far from me. And, and you, know, you do tend to keep an eye on the guys that are sort of fighting close to you. And, and the one thing, I, 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 to be honest, the one thing I will say, admittedly, is I'm not quite sure what's happened. The, the, he only had the one fight, didn't he, in 2019. I don't know if he's if he suffered with injuries or if he's just not had the right promotion team because he's got a lot of ability. You know, he calls himself too slick and, and he was... Slick. He was really slick, and and both guys put in a magnificent performance. And that was the fight. To be honest with you, I'm not. I'm not going to. You know, I, I did catch the fight, the whole, all the cards, um, and I, I didn't necessarily pay for it, but I did manage to see it. Um, and this was the first fight that I seen. I was really impressed with Chris, and yeah, I just, I, mean, I just don't understand why it's sort of taking him so long to get to the to the point where he's actually on a card like this, and, and he can actually showcase his skills because. From what I see a couple of years ago, he's, 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 he demonstrated ability, that, that sort of ability in other fights, albeit not against the best of fighters. And I think he really proved himself. And I think it was good for him to get that exposure. And, you know, the, I couldn't help myself. But again, I sit there and I, and I, I could see, I felt the same. I felt that like Congo was going to, he had his number. I thought eventually he's going to win this fight. And he did. And he did magnificently well. And But the one fight I'd love to see is, is Conor Ben. I would like to see Conor yeah. Ben against Chris Congo. I think that would be a magnificent fight. It's a fight that you could make quite easily or Eddie can make quite easily. So that for me would be a very interesting fight because I actually believe that Congo's got too much skill for Connor. That's my honest opinion. And I think that would be a, a good fight to sell. You could stick that fight on more or less you know, a few cards, you know, a few places down on, on quite a big card and people would enjoy that fight. So uh end of the day, excellent fight. One of the, as you say, I think I'm with you. It's definitely behind the Katie Taylor fight, but um, a good performance from Chris and I'm really looking forward to seeing if he can finally get a roll of, of fights together and, and get some victories. What did you make of Alan Babich's performance against Sean Dell Winters? <laughs> Alan Babich in the build-up to this fight made me laugh. He was one of the characters of the week in fight week for, for, for Fight Camp 4. He was saying all sorts of curse words, saying how he was going to knock him the fuck out and fuck this and fuck that. And I was just like, I like this guy already. <laughs> this, this Croatian who's come over with absolutely no bullshit behind him other than to go in there and to to, to 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 do a job and that's exactly what he did and let's let's be honest he's only three and oh yeah he had an extensive amateur career as i said in the preview to to fight camp four 
but he's not going to be long before he's he's getting in in the big fights, you know, in the heavyweight division. There's talk of him fighting Hergovic, his countryman Hergovic, something he said in the post-fight interview. He's been called out by him, which I think obviously for Croatian fight fans, that'd be great because it'll be a battle of two Croatians going at it in the heavyweight division. But I, I liked him. I actually liked him. I thought he was a bit of a character. I'm not saying he's going to go on and do amazing things in the heavyweight division because I think when he comes up against somebody who's got a ramrod jab, somebody like an Anthony Joshua who's got like a ramrod jab who will be able to stop him in his tracks, I do think he'd struggle. I think he'd struggle struggle against the mover as well. Anyone that's got lateral movement in the heavyweight division, anybody that can make this guy slow down by sort of the fifth, sixth round, I think he'd struggle against. But I do think he'll, he'll be a sort of fringe level contender. I think a fight between Alan Babich and Derek Chisora would be my type of fight to watch. That would be that would be a great fight between two absolute characters. Just imagine the build up to that. <laughs> That'd be more fun than the fight. I think. I think the actual fight itself wouldn't last very long because I mean I didn't actually see see Babich. I didn't until um, a, a mate of mine sort of in the morning uh, the next day said to me, "You've got to go and have a look at this this fight and just watch him." I, I vaguely had seen him before, <laughs> and uh, he he is like no hard bar, isn't he? He doesn't hold back. He goes in there and just throws a number of punches. He's not going to waste any time. I think I think that's probably what it is. He wants to just rack up the wins and the knockouts and get himself in a position to fight guys like Herxovic, who, who I did actually hear Eddie Hearn saying, uh, uh, laying down the gauntlet to, to Frank Warren, actually, to say, let's get Herxovic and... Uh, Dubois, that's what he was saying. If you want to, these, these, you know, you want to join forces if you like and, and start putting these fights on. He's thrown down a gauntlet as Hergovic and Dubois, and that'd be a good fight. But saying that, Babic and Hergovic, both Croatians, it's got, you know, it'd be a bit, it'd be a good fun. Uh, but as you say, Babic is, he's no nonsense. He will just go in there. He's going to throw a lot of shots. He's going to, he's going to defend a lot of his face, and that's always good fun. <laughs> and especially if you're, if, if you're a heavyweight. He's not going to last very long as soon as he comes in against a guy that's got a little bit about him. Uh, but that Derek Chisora <laughs> Babich would be hilarious. I'd love to see that. Just literally for all the build-up. I think that alone sells a fight. Before The fight wouldn't last very long, but it would be very entertaining to see these two in press conferences with one another. Um, yeah, great picture. I'd love that. So I suppose that leads me on to the wrap-up, really, for the Fight Camp series. And I think we've touched on it in the first couple of weeks, the first couple of Fight Camps, about a few things that kind of... Well, I did. It kind of annoyed me, a few little things that they did. But I suppose now it's time to really assess it and think, like, let's, let's strip it back a little bit and think about what, what's what gone on the past six months with the lack of boxing, <laughs> coronavirus, everything that's been going on, and the way, obviously, Matchroom and Eddie Hearn was able to bring it to a venue which was suitable, which was to be able to host these types of fights. And as an overall package, I suppose my question is, did you enjoy the experience that they put on, the way they was able to present it to us in a completely different way? What aspects of it did you enjoy and what aspects of it do you think they need to get rid of should they do something like this again? Well, the, the, the commentary situation, I think we all are getting a bit frustrated with. I think um, they need to, to revamp it. They need to bring some new, some fresh blood in. I just, it, it really frustrates me. I watched Dillian White against Alexander Povetkin, for instance, and I believe my commentary, if I can get the language right, I believe it was Turkish I was listening to it. Uh, <laughs> um, 
it was a lovely uh, HD picture. It was lovely to watch uh, with, with some Turkish commentary, which was great fun, especially when a knockout landed. That, for me, was <laughs> way more exciting. Them commentators, whoever they are, no idea who they are. We even tell you the channel, but it was absolutely brilliant commentary for them guys because they were so excited. It was brilliant. So the commentary is something they need to look at as a whole when, when you know, with, with everything else, you know. But, but in general, the camp, itself in terms of the fights i think we've already mentioned the females were outstanding all three fights very very entertaining and and stole the show pretty much all three of their fights on all the cards and all the camps the actual the way they the, the sky and, and eddie and the production team are able to put their actual show together i must say is very impressive I, on, on a viewing pleasure it really is a pleasure to view. It just just the the backdrop with the house, the lighting, the way they sort of use the stairs that to come into the ring, like the entrances. I thought it was brilliant. Oh, I cannot knock. I cannot knock any of that. I thought that was absolutely outstanding compared to sort of the BT shows where they were the shows I was expecting, where you just sort of have a, a screen. Even even uh, Channel Five, where one thing we didn't mention was it was Shakan Peters. He was fighting. I was watching that as well. That was. They did a good job on that, actually. I was really pleased with them. And they probably had better commentary on Channel 5 than they did on Sky, to be honest <laughs> with you. The fight, the fights itself weren't as great. But the, the, just, just for me, I think just it was a picturesque type of night. And, and when you watch Dillian White and Povetkin, with, with the way the lighting was, you almost forgot the crowd weren't there. It was weird. It was just, they, they were so clever with it. And I think you've got to give them props for that. I thought that was outstanding. So, but in terms of what it was all about, which was the fights itself, We've got to remember it is a very difficult time for everyone. We've got coronavirus, you've got the social distancing element, you've got all the PPEs in the ring. It's very difficult. And I still believe that with all that, they were able to put on a show. And, and I can't knock them for that. And I think the fights could have been better. Some fights could have been better than others. Uh, but again, I, I thought that some of the fight selections were okay. You know, I can't really knock it. We've not had boxing for so long that almost whatever they put on, I probably would have enjoyed in a way. Um, so yeah, as a whole, I'd give it a good. It was, it was. I don't know if I was going to rate it out of ten. I'd give it a seven. I'd give it a seven as a whole. No, not, not a bad score. That to be fair, I think. Uh, I think that's a pretty good score. I think I'd probably. I'm not going to go the same as you. I think I'm probably going to go a six out of ten. Um, and this is nothing <laughs> against the fires. Absolutely nothing against the fires. The problem is, I think, uh, being totally honest, I'm, I'm speaking as a fan here. This is how I'm speaking now. Uh, for viewing pleasure. I think we need we need them to change the presenters. We need them to get people on with a new, fresh insight, different commentary teams, commentary that doesn't seem as biased. That's one of the biggest things that came out of it for me was that every single weekend people were complaining about something Matthew Macklin said. People were complaining about something Adam Smith said. I think Adam Smith, you know, with all due respect, he's past his sell-by date when it comes to boxing commentary. I really do. He, the guy's been involved yeah. with Sky Sports for about 25 years now. I remember when he was just a presenter on the ground and he was getting the interviews. I remember all that. But now I think he's he's past his sell-by date when it comes to commentary now. I'm not saying he's a shit commentator. He's been good. But I think he served his time, and I think you need somebody who's more fresh, who's more current with the time, with the inside. That that relates more to the viewing audience. I don't think he relates more to the viewing audience. He's, he, he's sometimes you sit there and you listen and you think, what is he on about? What 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 is he talking about here? You know, a Matthew Macklin, a respected professional fighter who's retired, who's gone into punditry, who can analyze fights pretty well. 
But since he's been sucked up in that machine, he seems to have changed the way he analyzes fighters. He only seems to see what the guys at Sky and Matchroom are seeing. It feels like he's gone there with a pair of rose-tinted glasses and he's not took them off since he's got there. And that's how I feel about it. Commentary was an issue. I'd love them to change it. I'd love them to change the presenting team around a bit and just get some new faces and some new people, some different insights. It's like when they get like the odd people in like uh, Andy Lee, for example, who's a great analyst. The odd time that he comes in, you feel so refreshed. When Paulie Malinaji was coming in now and again, you felt so refreshed by listening to somebody different. They need to do it a bit more often. They really do. I understand yep. there's a lot of contractual obligations when it comes to Sky and, and who they've got and who they can actually contract to do these events. I do. I totally understand that. But just as a fan, I'd love to see something a bit mixed up a little bit different. The backdrop, the way it was presented to us was great. There were a few little annoying nuances like the, the annoying crowd murmur to try and replicate the sound of a crowd. I didn't think it was needed. I think a lot of these fighters are, at one time or another were amateurs and they would have fought in front of absolutely nobody with no crown sound before, so they would have been used to it. It wouldn't have been any different for them. So I didn't feel they needed to do that. It was something that could have been better. Overall, quality, 6 out of 10 for me. I mean, I'm probably just being really critical, to be honest with you. The, a lot of the fights were great. There were a lot of fights that I really enjoyed. There were some that weren't so great. There were some, again, a couple of decisions that were questionable, and I suppose that's what makes me give them a 6 out of 10. What could they have done better? Well... Like I say, commentary, presenting teams, changing things up a little bit probably could have made me go to a 7 or even 8 out of 10 for, for this event. Overall, though, what I will say is although my score seems a bit shit, I am thoroughly thankful that they were able to bring boxing back to us. I really am. It doesn't sound like so, it. It doesn't sound like it because I'm being you know critiquing it. But genuinely, I'm, as a fan, speaking as a fan, I'm genuinely happy that they brought it back and we was able to get some decent fights out of it. And we were able to kickstart boxing back. I know Frank Warren did it a few weeks earlier. It's just not the same. Everything Frank Warren does, Matchroom always ends up trumping it and doing it better. And that's that's been the case for, for quite a long time now. So thoroughly, I, I did enjoy yeah. the series. I'm glad that boxing's back. I'm now interested to see where they go from here now with the shows. Now that they've done the whole fight camp thing through the summer, what are they going to do next? Where are they going to take it next? Because obviously we're going into a different season. We're going into autumn and winter coming soon. So any, any big cards, where are they going to be held? How is it going to look? How are they going to present it to us? I am interested to see what happens next and whether or not they actually do change the commentary teams and give us something a little bit different. And yeah, like I say, overall, I was happy that they brought Baxin back to the forefront alongside the Frank Warren shows. And, Going back to what you were suggesting earlier, Johnson, about the Channel 5 show as well, I did catch that, and I did see the, the way they presented it. That was pretty decent. The fights, as you say, weren't as good as what I expected them to be. I suppose a couple of them were layups, really, to be honest, but seeing Chicken Pitters get the British title, of course, seeing the return of Isaac Chamberlain on there, and obviously Mick Hennessy's son, Michael Hennessy Jr., still making his way through the professional ranks. So it was good to see these guys in action, of course, and, and also the fact that it was on terrestrial TV does also help appeal to the audience a little bit more because not everybody can afford what, 60, 70 quid, 80 quid, whatever you pay for Sky or Virgin, they can't afford it, especially people that have been furloughed, cannot afford them ridiculous prices that you have to pay sometimes for it. So to be able to get it on terrestrial TV was also a, a massive help as well. So that that really concludes our review overall of, of the Fight Camp series and how we felt about it. Uh, I wanted to quickly touch on a fight that's actually happened today. 
whilst we've been recording this episode, and that was the son of the Australian legend, Costa Zoo. Tim Zoo has been making his ascension up the ranks, mainly in Australia, and he's now gone 16-0 today after going in and stopping Jeff Horn, which was earlier oh. on today. Brilliant. I mean, I can't even... I thought I thought Jeff Hall was going to... Not I thought he was going to win the fight. I just felt that he was going to put up more of a fight. And, and uh, Tim Zoo was, was, was brilliant. Uh, I can't knock the fella. I, as I say, I, didn't, I haven't seen the fight yet. I've just I've, I've seen bits on social media with people sort of saying how the fight was going. I just didn't get the time to watch it. But I was very surprised with the fact that he stopped him. I, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting it to be a lot closer than it was. And for him to stop a guy like Jeff Hall, who, you know, who has beat Pacquiao on record. Uh, we, 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 we may see it another way as uh, when we watch that fight, maybe Pacquiao <laughs> did win that fight. <laughs> but end of the day, uh, he has got that win and I thought he was going to be better than that. He got destroyed by Crawford, I think, ever since he's been on downward spiral. But brilliant fight for, for Zoo to win and it's definitely put him right in there uh, amongst the pigeons, if you like, the cat amongst the pigeons and people are now going to start talking about this youngster. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to see what he does next. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great win for him. What, what a great win. Uh, and, and I can't, you know, I, I, you've got to love that when, when the youngster sort of takes over. He's now the new face of Australia, really. Now he's taken over the mantle from Jeff Hall. Well, you've got to look at what else is in front of him now. He's in the Super Welterweight division now. He's been ranked in the top 10 after getting that victory well, now. So that puts him along the guys like Jarrett Hurd, Julian Williams, Hayson Rosario, Kel Brook. Brian Castano, Erislandi Lara, Jamel Charlo. These are the types of names that he's being put in amongst now because he's at that point where he can potentially go on to, to get these big fights. I, I'm not expecting them to dump him in there with one of these names. I mean, a good fight for him, a good interesting fight for him would be like a guy like a, a, a Tony Harrison or even a Sergio Garcia who no one wants to go near. Or maybe, you know, even like a a fighter of yesteryear, like an Austin Trout, or somebody that's still active, that's still around, that can still show that he's going up in level, level upon level upon level. Let's be honest about Jeff Horn. I think, for most people's opinions, he got a little bit lucky. It was that win over Pacquiao, that disputed win over Pacquiao, and he's been riding the fucking coattails of that win for the past few years. That, that That's it, isn't it? He's been riding the coattails yep. of that for the past few years. And that's how he's ended up with all these mega fights, the Crawfords. That's how he's ended up with them. But then now you look at what Tim Zoo's doing, and you look at the way he's beating all the best fighters in Australia. For me now, he's, he's going on to to potentially be a, a really good world-level fighter. The next thing we need to see from Tim Zoo we need to see a big fight. This was a big fight, but we need to see a bigger one now. We need to know if he really is the real deal. People can sit there and say, oh, well, Jeff Horn didn't lock himself and he looks a bit disorientated in the fight. You know, he's 32 now. He's had his day. He was he was never that good to begin with. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of good arguments to have there, but it's still a name on his record. It's still a big name on his record, given what he's actually got on his record, Jeff Horn, over the past few years. So, for Tim Zoo, you want to see him now fighting one of them names that I mentioned earlier to see whether he really is the real deal. He certainly looks it. He doesn't look like he hits as hard as what his dad did, but he certainly looks just as good as him. He does, and, and there's some great... I mean, yes, that's a great pick, Tony Harrison. I think that'd be a good fight. Sergio Garcia, Austin Child, great picks. I mean... What about sticking with if we could get you know one of our British boys, it would be Cheeseman Fitzgerald or Fowler. If one of them could could potentially 
make a step up in their careers and, and, and take on someone like Tim Zoo, whether he'd be interested in that to give him the exposure over here. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're smart enough uh, over at Matchroom to probably want to stay away from him for one of them guys. But but in a couple of fights, it's definitely something that could happen. Um, and, and, and he looked like he could go on for a title fight. I mean, you look at that division as well. I mean, the... the it's it's there. It's, I mean, there's not there's names in there. You got the Charlie, you got Lara. You know, he's been around forever. You know, you got uh, Kell Brook, uh, Julian Williams, and Jarrett Hurd. They're all fights that in not 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 too distant future that Tim Zhu could not only just take on but but beat. And let's just be honest. He he looks like he's got the ability. Uh, I mean, we're not going to chat too much about the fact that he's beat Jeff Horn. Jeff Horn is definitely on the dance slide. The heart of his career was that controversial victory over Pacquiao but it's it's a division where you can win some titles and I think he will definitely be staying in this division and it's just going to be very interesting but I would love I would really love to see him come over here on a matchroom card and, and just give him that exposure whether one of our youngsters have got the bollocks to do it we'll have to find out maybe <laughs> maybe who knows uh, but it's it's definitely possible uh, who knows it, it's, it's a bright future for the kid it certainly is a bright future for him. So now we've touched on that, I suppose we can move into what's going on this coming weekend. And it's not a great deal this weekend as to what we've expected over the past few weekends. Now that matching fight camp's finished, obviously now we're looking ahead to, to, to the next big fights that are happening. This weekend in Britain, we've got... Frank Warren's show at the BT Sports Studio. Daniel DeWise back out in action. He's taking on late replacement Ricardo Schneiders, who's 18-1. and one. And most of us do feel that this is going to be a blowout within a few rounds. Will Schneiders be able to take him further than just a few rounds? It remains to be seen. I've watched a little bit of Schneiders. He looks like he can handle himself, but I think once he gets clipped, I think... I think it's good night Vienna for him. So we've got that fight. We've got Sonny Edwards, Thomas Isomba, which I think will be a good fight for the card. Sam Maxwell, Joe Hughes. Again, great fight for the card. Three pretty decent, well, two pretty decent fights and one blowout fight there. And then you've got Willie Hutchinson, Sam Noakes, and uh, David Adelaide, who was fighting on that particular card. But I suppose for the American fight fans, the fight that you're probably going to be looking forward to this coming weekend is, of course, Jose Carlos Ramirez against Victor Postol. Victor Postol, former opponent of Josh Taylor, who currently holds the IBF and the WA Super Lightweight titles, and Jose Carlos Ramirez, who holds WBC and WBO titles. So it's going to be interesting, because a lot of us have wanted to see the Taylor Ramirez fight for a while, and we're hoping that we get it. Now, I think we're not too far away from it. I honestly think we're not too far. I know Josh Taylor's fighting towards the end of September in a rescheduled fight against the Thai fighter, but... This fight with Ramirez and Postel will get us to see how good of a job he can do on Postel, whether he can do as good of a job on Postel, and whether he can do it yeah. better than what Josh Taylor did. And that starts to lead you to believe then who could win this fight between these two in the super lightweight division. It's a, it's a really great division. Since Josh Taylor's cleaned up in the World Boxing Super Series, there's only been one man really in, the, in his eyeline, and that's... Jose Carlos Ramirez. So, for the American fight fans, I'm sure you'll be tuning into this one this weekend. I know, as a British fight fan, I'll have an interest in this particular fight because I want to see what he does. I want to see whether he gets rid of Postel within the distance. I want to see how good he looks. And I want to see whether he calls out Josh Taylor for that fight or not. Or whether we see something completely different. That's the biggest fight of the weekend for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. 
the fact that Victor Postle, I mean, the only two defeats in his record is Terence Crawford and Josh Taylor, and we do want to see just how he performs against him. I know it was a couple of years ago, and Victor Postle did lose to Josh Taylor, but he did cause Josh a couple of problems, and Josh had to. It was a great learning fight for Josh. It really put him into the position that that he went on to, and how he was able to perform so well in the World Boxing Super Series. And I think you know he's got a lot to thank Postle for. These are the these are the great learning fights that every fighter needs in their career for them to develop and progress. And and I know Ramirez is a, a unified champion at the moment, the WBC and the WBO. It is a benchmark, isn't it? I think we're all going to be looking at that and we're all going to be looking at just what he could do. You would expect this to be a one-sided victory, but Postel, even though he, he, you know, at his ripe age of how old is he now, he's, what, 36, he's been around for a long time, he's still got enough about him where he can probably last his fight. So it's going to be interesting whether he, maybe it's just one last hurrah for Postel. He's going to go for a, could he potentially upset you know, upset the Applecart? It's a, it's a strong possibility. But I think Jose, Carlos Ramirez and Josh Taylor are the two of the division. And I'm expecting Ramirez to come through, but it is definitely a fight of the weekend. And one, I'm really intrigued to see how it goes. And it, as I say, it's just that benchmark I think we're all going to be looking at. If he gets rid of him, he probably goes into the fight when they when he, when they do when they eventually do fight as the favourite. If, um, if he doesn't and he looks a bit in trouble at times, then it flips back into Josh's failure. Favorite. It, either either way, it the, the, we all want to see the big one, and that is hopefully what happens after Ramirez. Hopefully, comes through this one, and as you say, Taylor comes through his fight against that Chinese Chinese fella. So, yeah, good 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 fight that, um, and one I'm definitely going to be keeping a close eye on. Another good fight for US fighter fans that we will have an interest in. Someone that you just mentioned when talking about Tim Zhu is Erislandi Lara defending his WBA. Super welterweight title, and also looking to claim the vacant IBO super welterweight title, going in against Greg Vendetti, who's 22-3-1. Eris Landilar is a guy that feels like he's been around for forever. He's 37 years of age, but he's such a, such a great fighter that he's, he's been able to Brilliant go fight. on for so long. I mean, in his last couple of fights, he lost a close split decision to Jarrah Hurd in 2018. Then he got a split decision draw against Brian Carlos Castano, who we were talking about earlier. Then he won by knocking out Ramon Alvarez in his last fight in August 2019. And now he's got this defense and also a chance to win the IBO version of the Super Wellaway title. So, you know, Aries Landy Lara is a fighter that is still around, still well avoided by a lot of a lot of guys, even though he's 37 years of age because he's such a slick fighter, such a great fighter. He, I've really enjoyed watching watching his career. You got to remember this is this is a guy that's come from Cuba, developed some of the best fighters we have ever seen, and he is a stereotypical Cuban boxer. It's as simple as that, and we've really enjoyed watching them. So that's another fight to tune in for this weekend. As well on the same card, interestingly, Alfredo Angulo. Do you remember him? He's fighting Caleb Truax on that particular card. Truax, yeah. The guy that dethroned James DeGale. He dethroned James DeGale, didn't he? Yes, right. Yeah, I do remember. And then that was a shocker, wasn't it? I think that was, was that on BT? I think that might have been a... I can't. It, it was it might have, It was his comeback fight, and then he he, he beat um, the Gal, and the Gal had all sorts of problems with him, and that was definitely really noticed. The Gal was on the side, and Caleb Chuck's like, he's he's a nice fellow actually, really really humble guy, and it, that's a that's an interesting fight. I mean, uh, Angulo, what fight do I remember? The Peter Quinlan fight recently, actually. That was that was last year, was it? Yeah, it was. It was last year. 
uh, split decision. Yeah, Peter Quinn, I remember that. Um, again, another fight he's been around for a while, wasn't he? Um, yeah, it's, it's a good fight. 38 years old, Angulo, Jesus. Um, makes me feel old. When you, when you sort of watch these, these names pop up again in like the, the Postals and, and the Laras, and you start thinking, Jesus, they're like near on, like hitting on 40 soon, because they're always my age, and I was just <laughs> in my head, they're like still in their late 20s. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, time's catching up with these fellas. But just, just mentioning Lara, I mean, it's, it's incredible to think that he fought Canelo in 2014. And, yeah. and I remember that fight fondly because I, was, I, I felt that Lara won that fight. He got robbed in that. And then the Williams fight was another one he got robbed in. He's one of those guys where I think he's only done three defeats on his career. The Jarrett Hurd won. Very close fight. That last, that knockdown in the last round from Jarrett Hurd won him that fight. He was, for me, I thought Lara had it. And then obviously that last. So for me, he's lost three fights, but Two of them, I don't think he lost. And one was very close. And, and not only that, you've got to remember, Lara is very small. He's a tiny guy and he's just got that magnificent ability. That Cuban style was just an absolute thrill to watch. And, and Hurd was massive. Absolutely massive. Like a fucking super middleweight in there that <laughs> night. And uh, But yeah, Lara, bad boys. And uh, I love that guy. If I will definitely be catching this fight probably in the next uh, in the morning because I, I just love watching this guy fight. I always have. So, um, yeah, another good fight to watch there, hopefully. I really do hope he can come away and pick up those two two weight titles. Yeah, it'll be interesting, won't it, to see how he gets on and see whether he ends up getting one more big fight before he calls it a day. He's, he's a brilliant fighter. He's like, the way he, the way things have gone against him, he's like the Pernell Whitaker of this particular era. Oh, really? a, a guy that's just We're been really robbed right, yeah. of decisions, important decisions throughout his career that probably could have changed his career for the better, but yeah, he's still here. He's still got one world title and he, now he's looking to defend that and go for a second world title. So, it'll be interesting. And they probably are the, the best fights, the picks of the weekend. If you are going to tune in and look for some boxing this weekend, they are probably the fights to look for this weekend to, to check out and check out on the Sunday morning if you're in the UK, obviously Saturday night if you're in the USA, of course. Really looking forward to it, seeing some of these great fights happen this weekend. I haven't got anything else to add to the rest of this episode. That's pretty much it for our review episode of Dillian White's shocking KO upset from Alexander Povetkin. <laughs> You're laughing in the background there, but uh, it's just a cr- it's just still I still on honestly I still honestly can't believe that actually went down that way. Uh, I think uh, Dillian White thinks the same to be honest with you, I think he woke up in the morning and was shell socked. He couldn't believe that was just happened. So yeah, <sighs> it gutted for him. Yep. I agree. I, I do feel a little bit gutted for him, to be honest with you, but I think if he can bounce back stronger from it and uh, it makes him a better fighter for it, then so be it. Yep. We'll see what happens. But as always then, fight fans, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Please go and check us out. Social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter or the BTR Boxing Podcast Network on Facebook. If you've not subscribed to us, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts or any available podcasting app out there. Please leave us a rating. Five stars would be amazing. You can write whatever the hell you want, as long as you give us that five stars. If you want to support the podcast, please go and do that. Go and leave us a five-star rating and let us know. If you guys have got any requests for any one-off episodes, anything that you want to hear us do, please let us know. You'll have seen a few bonus episodes going out here and there most recently. And, of course, there'll be some more coming up over the course of the next couple of months. As always, we've enjoyed bringing you the Big Fight Review, and we'll see you next week. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. 
Smartcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.